The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we inspire leaders to grow their companies from startup to 40 million and beyond by designing world-class strategic plans and help keeping them accountable to actually get it done. So go to 40strategy.com to learn more. Our shout out this week is to Haley Hardwick. Haley is my niece and Haley helped me recently run. She she challenged me to run this race called the Bridge of the Gods, which is in the Columbia River Gorge here between the Oregon and Washington River, Washington State. And it is an, was an amazing experience. And at the end of that race, I got to meet Chad Lubinsky, who's our guest today. And, and Chad, we, we like hit it off immediately right away because we love the similar books. And, and before I knew it, he was like getting ready. He's like, I'm, I'm getting, oh, you just ran this marathon. That's great. And all he was like, so proud of us. I mean, half marathon. And he's like, well, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm running, I'm going to do a half, uh, going to climb Mount Rainier, which is 14,000 feet for those who aren't aware of that. And then he's like, and after that, I'm going to do this hundred miler. And so, so the deal that we had, Chad, right, was you don't get to be on the show unless you complete the hundred miler. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. And it came up, like I was telling you before, came up more than a few times in the race that I had to get it done for this podcast. It is, and and we're going to show you some. We're going to see if we can pull off showing a little footage of the guests. But hey, Chad, and this I'm going to ad lib a little bit here with Chad. Basically, so Chad gave me this like super awesome one sentence, you know, bio. But I'm going to give you a little bit more. So Chad is is he he would say he's a regular 40 hour week guy. You know, he has a job, a main job, but what he does in the weekends is a is a sponsored outdoorsman is absolutely extraordinary. And if you aren't already following Chad, I'm going to definitely encourage you to follow Chad. All of his information we'll be sharing later at the end of the show. What he said was, hey, I'm just a regular guy who previously battled depression, anxiety, but learned to cope by doing things outside your comfort zone, right? And and things outside your comfort zone, I mean, doing the Cascades 100 and gaining 11,500 elevation feet, (laughs) is bananas. So Chad, welcome finally to the Measure Success Podcast. I appreciate it, Carl. I've been actually listening to your podcast as well and super informative. I just want to say thank you again for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here and I can't wait to talk about the 100. <laughs> yeah, so let, we're going to start off with that. And so I'm going to see if I could pull off this video <laughs> multimedia here just a moment. So I'm going to have, I'm going to put up my screen and and you should be able to hear what we're going to show. But this is Chad on mile ninety four. Yeah. And and once again, for those who aren't watching, you're not going to be. Yeah. 
Not very fast, huh? <laughs> so it, you, you may not be, once again, you people are listening, you're not going to pick up what's going on. Chad is in extraordinary physical shape and he is walking with walking sticks on mile 94 to just take a step. I mean, this is, and, and what's funny, you told me, Chad, tell me about what Haley, Haley was thinking like she was going to like run with you, right? Yeah, it was awesome. Like all my pacers within from mile 82 on, I had two different pacers and both of them were like jacked up, stoked, ready to go. And I had just gone through all of the night, like 30, 40 miles at night with me and another pacer. I was just getting down. It was morning. So they're just jacked up. And I mean, I was about as fast as like a slow moving toddler learning to crawl. I mean, it, it was, it was sad. And so, yeah, they were just jacked up, ready to go. Haley had her headphones. She took half a caffeine pill. She's, she thought I was going to be rolling this last 6.8 to the finish. And I was just like, Hey hun, you got to slow down a little bit. You got to, got to work with me here. So I was really just kind of at like a trot was like my, my top speed at that point in the race. <laughs> now, prior getting into the, this race. What was the farthest you ever ran before then? A 50 miler. So I did a 50 miler last year and that was kind of my big ultra that I did. And then, yeah. And then for this year, I, my longest run leading up to the hundred was 41 miles around Mount hood Timberline. So not, you know, that's 60 more miles. It's, it's crazy, you know, cause you know, you know, as running a half marathon, a lot of times you're running 11 miles as like your longer training run. Right. So you only have, you know, two, 2.1 left and it's like, oh, nice. And yeah, for this, it was like 60 more miles. Wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's different. You know what I mean? So how is my body going to respond to it? And so I think that's where my training, I think, because we'll probably get into it, but my training, I only ran three days a week. I only did three days a week running. I probably did 30 miles average, but I did all these like little nuanced things that I think helps my durability throughout the run. So let's talk about that. So, so how in the heck do you train for a hundred miler? Go, go through. So first of all, how long did you know you wanted to do a hundred miler? And so when, how long did it take you to actually train to do a hundred miler? Yeah. So I've probably, I, it's been a bucket list for probably five years and then three years for sure. And you know, it, it takes time to work up to, actually believing that that's possible because when I first started running I mean I didn't really find it possible I was just like I don't understand and so as you start progressing in, in it and you progressively overload your runs and all that type of things you start getting this belief like what if I could Goggins says it all the time well, but what if I could and so I started thinking that way and then once you start hanging around these people also you start making friends at these ultras they're doing these hundred milers, 200 milers and all this. And you're like, okay, I think like I could do this. And so it's just this progressive thing of, it's just a progressive mental thing. And it's just like a ladder. It's just everything that every time you get out of your comfort zone, it's like a longer launch pad. I, I kind of think of it as, and, and then you just keep taking off. And so, so yeah. And then as far as training went, I am actually, I see my training plan right here. I mean, this training plan had you run in six days a week. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't like running that much. Like I, I can't run six days. I have, I have so many eclectic different hobbies. I, I, I do a lot of other things. So I was like, okay, I have to figure out like how to get decent mileage, but also like maintain my durability. And so what I did 
was a couple different things. Number one, I started off in February training for this and I started and so off. That's time timeline for those who are listening. So February is when you start training 2022 and you yes ran this this was just in august right yeah it was two weeks ago so it would have been august 27th or 26th yep. perfect yep. okay so it's yep. about six months and so i started off though with the four by four by 48 david goggins challenge which was exceptional if anybody's doing 100 miles yeah go where you can so describe that a little bit more for those yeah. who aren't familiar with that race is so it's it's four running four miles every four hours for 48 hours and really it's running four miles every like three hours because you know, you gotta, you gotta warm up, you gotta run it and then you gotta get back and kind of cool down. Right. So it's actually like every, everybody thinks it's four hours, but it's actually like really three hours, you know, you get between each run and it's sneaky hard. It's, it's very sneaky hard. And so, you know, you have to get up at 8 PM, 12 AM, 4 AM, 8, 8 AM. And it just kind of revolves like that for your whole weekend, basically. And it's great because I, prior to that, I was very concerned about the sleep deprivation in a hundred. Mm. I have never really been that good at no sleep. You could ask Haley. I'm a super big crab and I get, I miss an hour of sleep. I hate it. I love sleep. I, I know it's so great for recovery and all this. Right. And so I was very concerned about that, but that was the catalyst to be like, okay, I can actually maybe survive on less sleep. So. After that, I, I kept running and all that. And I was, again, I was still doing three days a week, but then I started getting more into mountaineering and mountaineering again was really good for sleep deprivation because we'd wake up at 1 a.m. and then you'd go time on feet. So I think there's two things that you gotta think of, sleep deprivation and time on feet. Mountaineering hits two of those. You get a ton of time on feet, just going very slow, like you do in a hundred really. And you also get the sleep deprivation. So I did like Mount Baker. Yeah. Rainier, Rainier was 20 and a half hours just straight. We started at mm -hmm. 10 PM and just went to the next day. So it, it all added up to exactly how you would like run a hundred or be like in a hundred. So yeah, I did all that. And then obviously you have to have a strength component to it. And there was two things that I did with that. There was one that was called a muscular endurance. And it was this free workout by the uphill athlete, which is a very good podcast. They talk all about, basically it's this free training plan. It's progressively overloads, but it focuses a lot on eccentric loading. So you're doing a lot of jumps, a lot mm -hmm. of step ups and things like that. That really helps you for when you're getting, when you're pounding your legs on the downhill for these mountain races, you know? So I would do that once a week. I'd be sore for like three days. You know? <laughs> do that. And then I also would do a mobility program I do online twice a week. And so I would get strength in different ranges of motion. So I was like doing those coupled with the running, coupled with the mountaineering and, and that. Cause it's like for an average person, you know, someone that's elite running a hundred, they have like a very specific plan. But for me, it was more of doing all these different types of activities that kind of made sense for a hundred and just going from there. And then, and it worked out. I mean, I was, it was great. Like my legs were yeah, I was jacked up. What actually happened was I neglected to train my tibialis anterior. So like when you like lift up your foot, right? Like that muscle there in the front of your shin, I never trained it. And so what happened? It blew up on me, both ankles by like 82. Ooh. And so that's why I couldn't walk both of those. I mean, I'm still, it's still, I just started running again yesterday and it's still kind of a shooting pain a little bit in that left ankle, but It'll be fine. But yeah, so I neglected that and it came up, came back to bite me in the butt. <laughs> but you didn't, you probably even weren't aware that you were going to have that 
challenge nope. heading into it. Nope, nope. So along the way, so I think a lot of people to know, and I didn't frankly even know, I, I read out a little bit to basic understanding, but it's not just running the 100 miles. There are checkpoints along the way where they're mm-hmm. checking for your stamina health and oh, wow. also they're timed, oh, yeah. right? So if you don't meet one of them, you're booted out of the race. So how many people, I'm curious, I don't know if you know the rough numbers, but how many people roughly started the race? How many people actually finished this particular Cascades 100? Yeah, I think it was about 180 started, 44 DNF'd, and then the rest finished. So whatever that was. Okay. And, but you're totally right with the cutoffs. And that was a concern with this race because this is only its second year. And their first cutoff was at 49 miles and it, you had to be there at a certain time, like you were saying. Right. And I checked my watch at 49 miles and I'm, there's no aid station anywhere near. And I'm asking my, the people I met, they're at 49, nothing, nothing, two more miles. It takes us to get to this aid station at 49. So Haley's there, my crew's there. They're like, where the heck have you been? I'm like, dude, like it was supposed to be here two miles. So the rest of the race, I was playing catch up a lot with these cutoffs. Uh, and so that's why at, at some of these, actually at every aid station, basically, I never really sat down. I just would go in there, I'd grab something, and which is what why I had a huge blood blister at the end of, at the, end of the race on my foot is because I was never cleaning my feet. I never had time. I was just like grabbing stuff. I was going. I told Haley, I was like, we got to get going for the last one because so we had two hours to do 6.8 miles. But I was like, well, maybe it's not even 6.8 miles. At this point, I can't trust the course. So I'm trying to get as much buffer as I can. So cutoffs, and that's one thing I said in one of my videos, you got to be like, you have to buffer even more time for cutoffs. And if, if it's a new course, it could be totally wrong. It could be mm-hmm. totally wrong. So mm-hmm. something to know. So you get to this. So the first age station was until 49 slash 51 miles. No, they had, or, they had a bunch of eight. They had along the way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think there's about 14 throughout the total okay. of the race. Got it. Got it. So you, you head towards, and once again, things are, what was, what is the required pace roughly to maintain, you know, what per minute, so to speak, you know, how, what was that kind of expectation of that to get it halfway there? Yeah. So you, well, you had to get so you, to finish the whole race in 32 hours, you had to maintain like a 19 minute mile pace. Got it. That was yeah. like the whole thing. Yeah. And then some of the earlier aid stations, they were a little bit faster. It was in the 18s and mm-hmm. things like that. So what actually ended up happening a lot, and Haley said this too, and some of the other people on my crew is these people went out very hard. And by the time they got to 50 and 60, they started blowing up. And a lot of, that's where a lot of them washed out was because they went too hard and they didn't kind of conserve themselves. And I really conserved myself till about 50. And that's when I started picking trying to pick it up more. Mm -hmm. And because you got to be really patient with these. I mean, there's a lot that can happen. I mean, and yeah, you have to have some buffer time, but there's also, (laughs) there's just so many things that can happen. I had a buddy that was behind me at one point. Then never saw him to the end of the race. And what ended up happening is he just couldn't keep anything down. He was thrown up this whole entire time up this hill. I didn't see him till 93 when I picked up Haley. And I was like, wow, dude. So you have these rallies, these, these giant roller coasters throughout the entire race that you have to ride and that you have to know that it will get better 
if you just keep plugging away, it usually gets better. Because once again, we're ten, you said 11,500 rough elevation gain, right. which means right. that you're going down and up, you know, yeah. like, like, like through there. So that's crushing your quads on the way down and mm-hmm. crushing your, <laughs> your, everything is just getting completely worked. Mm-hmm. What was the terrain like? Was it an actual path or was it rough or was it, what was, what was that like? Yeah, it was a very, it was a very nice buttery trail, actually. It oh, was, good. it was very sandy though. And so by the end of it, that's why it's very critical that you take care of your feet at the aid stations and you have someone cleaning your feet with a towel or water or whatever. And I was even wearing what they call gaiters over my ankles so that no rocks and stuff would get in it, but it didn't stop the dust. It was going right through my shoes. And I mean, by the end of it, they, my, my feet were completely black and I only got my feet washed one time and that's what happens. You just, when you're kind of in that type of environment. So foot care is huge. And actually I got to thank Haley for it because she was the one that said, yeah, I was looking at all these other people that came in the aid stations. They were getting their feet washed. So I better do it for you too. So she saved me there. Probably a couple other blisters. (laughs) So you're, you're, you're going, once again, going through, let's talk about the mental side a little bit now. Mm -hmm. Okay. When, when, when did you start going, oh, you know, when, when was that point you were just like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think I visualized it so much that I didn't get to that point until about 82. My whole strategy with this whole thing was there was 14 aid stations. So I never thought of it as a hundred miles. What I did was I just, I just mentally was trying to get to the next aid station, which was 4.9 miles away. 9.8 miles away. That's all I thought. I never thought about it in terms of a hundred miles or 425 milers or whatever, anything like that. The time I did though, was when I got to 82, it was morning now. And I had 18, I had six hours to do 18 miles and I was going pretty slow. And I was very concerned at that point. And again, I was behind in these weird cutoffs because now at this point I was three, because by the time I ended this race, I was at 103 miles on my watch. So 100 miles, 103 miles, I don't know. I have no idea where I was at. But so I was very concerned with these last 18 miles. So that's where I started getting concerned. And it was more of not that I couldn't do it. It was that I could, I needed to make the cutoff. I was just so concerned about this cutoff. And so that's why I was just basically you're talking about the trekking poles. I was basically just pulling myself with these trekking poles because I was basically dragging my left foot the entire time because it was injured at that point. And so, yeah, that's where, where I started freaking out. I think it kind of lit a fire under me though. It started making me go faster where if I was above the cutoff, I probably wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have had to put that much effort into it, but because I was so scared, it was the fear that was really driving me. (laughs) So so that's amazing so i loved it so you broke up you had this long race you broke up in smaller segments right to to make it more bite-sized so to speak you know type type events you got through it and it wasn't i love it It wasn't until my two which was now looking back that was over a marathon further than you've ever ran before right which is like you put that in perspective right yeah you know that's kind of crazy i mean it was it It was that much further and here you only had less than a marathon left (laughs) but 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 you had it really was an injury at the end of the day which which you know helped get through is that when did you pick up the sticks was that 
right around then? How, like how, when in the race, and is that common for people to kind of have the whole way or because of yeah. the elevation climb that's there? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. It, it's different for everybody, obviously, but some people started off the race with it, but I was like, I'm not going to carry it. It was probably like a 4,000 feet of vert until you got to mile 36 where you could get a drop bet where you could get, you could see your crew for the first time and you could finally pick up some of the stuff that they had. At that point is when I actually picked them up because it was the first 66 miles of the course was basically all climbing. There was a couple, I mean, there was downs and stuff like that, but there was mostly, that was where the... 11.5 was so after 66 oh, wow. it was more more downhill and okay. so i think that's what really again screwed up my ankle because of the eccentric loading of i kept going downhill for so many miles that it was just it was just cranking on it so yeah i choose to do it at 36 i really like running with them i mean i use them for hiking all the time they're super small they they fold up and things like that i think they're super effective and obviously i was using them quite a bit at the end so they worked well for me wow wow what I got to imagine once again, there's so many things you got to go through your head. What surprised you? Right off the bat, what surprised me was how well I did at night. I think it was, it was a, just, I was used to it at that point, just with all the mountaineering stuff that I did and all this like night training that I've done, I was comfortable there. It was so bizarre. And that was something that I was very afraid of before the hundred. And the training really helped me through that. And you don't really hear about that type of training in all these other training plans if you're trying to run 100. And so I think it freaks some people out. We got up to this one aid station. We were cold. It was 37 degrees. We only had some light pullovers on. Wow. And I gave my buddy my gloves that was pacing me. We get up to this aid station, and there's these two people by this fire. And they were – it was like a propane fire, and they were just – like zombies. I mean, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. They were, they were in about three blankets, could barely talk, eyes shut. And just, and I told my pacer, I said, dude, we were freezing. I was like, we got to grab some broth at this aid station. We got to warm our hands up and we got to go. Cause we're going to end up exactly like them. Mm. So that was another thing I think that was really good was I didn't get, we like to call it vortex into the aid stations where a lot of people will go there. They'll get comfortable. They'll sit down. And then they just get sucked in. And that's where a lot of people quit. And I've seen this in through hiking, which I do a lot. People will go into town to resupply their food. They'll stay there at the hotel for a couple of days. They get comfortable and then they'd stop. And so I did not want to have that, any of that. So I was really surprised with how well I, and I learned that in my 50 miler. I wait, I was way, taking way too long at aid stations. So I finished it way slower than I wanted to. So I had some pain from there, some residual pain. But the other thing, I guess, was how I love the crew aspect. It was such an awesome team. My parents flew out. Haley was there. Had some people from work, my other buddy. And it gives me the chills right now, but that was probably the best part of the 100. And that's not something I was expecting. It was this team effort. It was great to see them at every station. And it just it felt like a team. It was, it was awesome. It was really, it was a really unique experience. Yeah. What did you feel like when you crossed the finish line? Wow. I felt relieved, number one, because I had said, 
you know, I was like, I'm never going to do this again. As I was running, that's what I was saying. I'm like, I'm never, ever going to do this again. So I felt relieved at first, you know, and, and I just felt so grateful for everyone that was there and spent their weekends watching me and helping me. And to be honest, it, your head's pretty messed up because you didn't have sleep. You know, you, you're so exhausted. And so it wasn't really until really kind of this week, because then, like I said, I got COVID about two days after trying to recover. Yeah, so my, you're welcome. You're welcome. Right? Yeah. 100 miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unreal, right? So it's really been like this week. And I, I kind of describe it as it's just this feeling where you feel like no challenge is, is too much for you anymore. Like you have this weird like energy, this aura about you where I've only got this a couple times in my life. And that was when, when I was hunting, I, I was bow hunting and I harvested an elk. And when I completed the John Muir trail, those were the two other instances. And it just, it's this weird feeling, this weird energy that sticks with you for about two to three weeks. And you just feel very content with what you did. But then it gets into, okay, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. So it kind of switches. So that's where I'm, transitioning into now <laughs> so so when you when you first said something and people wouldn't been able to tell but i saw your facial expressions you you, you started to tear up a little bit when you first when you yeah. started to talk about it or at yeah. least you know a little bit uh, emotion i mean i gotta imagine you had your parents there you had Haley there you had these you had all these people that went through two days yeah and also all the preparation talk i mean you've been talking about this for six well for five years you've kind of talked about this right right you you finally get to this end and and they're all there to celebrate was was it a big yeah. ball fest was it was it yeah, yeah i mean what what was it like like when you were there like hugging people and or or yeah. just like man i need to sit down and yeah <laughs> well so as so you kind of finish on this track as you come into this uh, in in sisters there and you kind of cross the street and my parents were there Haley was running with me and I said, we got to, let's all do this together. I want you all to run with me around this track. So <laughs> my mom and dad were like, oh no, we don't want to get you disqualified or something. I'm like, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. You know, that's my least concern right now. And so I got them to run the track with me, which was so cool. And yeah. And then I finished, I remember giving my dad a hug and, you know, as a son, you always are trying to look favorable in your father's light, you know, and I'm the firstborn son. And I kind of felt me and my dad didn't get along that well in high school type of thing. And now that, and then I moved out here in college. And so, and our relationship's gotten a lot better. And so there's this picture of me hugging my dad, which is now the background of my phone, which was, which was really cool. That was a cool, special moment. And then of course, like my mom was there and like, She's always been just so supportive of me and everybody just kind of took care of me after the, after the race. I mean, both my ankles had to be on ice and, and I had this blood blister. I mean, it was like this big. I mean, I got to send you that picture because it was insane. And so actually Guy Hardwick, we went to their house after and he ended up draining it. And so, dude, it was just so cool. Like I've never had any of that with my adventures. You know, I finished the Colorado trail or the John Muir trail and all these things and nobody's there around me. I can tell people about it, but nobody ex- kind of experienced it with me and everybody went through that experience with me for the hundred. And so 
it was just, it was super special. It's really cool. I, I now what was fun, and I think we, you know we briefly mentioned, but I, I loved it that I mean, once again, you hadn't that had nothing to do with this, but to to you actually accomplished a hundred mile or two. That that was the by the way, I was gonna let you on anyways. I I'm, I, now I can tell you that, but because uh, just attempting it, but I didn't want to tell you that beforehand. But you're gonna come on anyways, but what was did let's talk about that that fear of failure for a minute okay because even when we were talking we were talking about books and stuff like this and you made this comment said yeah one of my buddies he got kicked out you know on on one of the miler thing i keep i'm curious about that like you know did you have this i don't want to fail type aspect i mean how much was that a part of the the push on, on on getting yourself to go yeah, it was huge. It was huge. So they always say in those last 10 miles, you kind of have these crazy epiphanies. And one of the epiphanies I had was that I self-sabotaged myself sometimes. And I thought back to, I do jujitsu as well. And I was in a tournament and I was going for first place. I was winning the match. And I literally had this thought that said, I shouldn't be winning this match. I don't deserve number one. And what happened? I got tapped out. I literally reversed it. I got ankle locked and I tapped out and I went back to my comfortable spot of being second, right? I thought about that those last 10 miles. I was just like, why do I do this? And I can't do this now because it would be so easy just to lay on this freaking trail, you know? I could just, I don't have to, I don't have to go six more miles or whatever it is. I've done it. I've done it. That's the, another limiting belief I have. I've done enough, right? And mm. so I was battling that throughout the whole time. And, and then it's just, it's, it's just an interesting, it's just an interesting mode of thought that you get into. And so you got to work out of it. Cause those are those demons that they always say will come at you in your low moments. And that was a low moment for me. Cause I was just in so much pain and going so slow, concerned about the cutoff and all that. And so it was really cool that I was able to think about that, realize, become self-aware of it. And then work out of it to then get to the finish line and kind of put that in my pocket for later when something like that comes out and and think to myself oh but i didn't self-sabotage myself on this huge hundred mile race you know and so so yeah it was it's just crazy it's just crazy those last 10 miles are so crazy and and i think that's so interesting is that i, I think it's often when when we see people from the outside perform incredible things. There's this appearance of just success, right? You know, right. you're on a magic success show and we talk about the success, but what you're talking about is here you're on mile 94, 95, and you're questioning whether you're going to finish five more miles. Now, granted, you look at the video, you're like, yeah, you're, I don't know if you're going to finish it either. I mean, when you show that like 10 second split, it's like, you're in a lot of pain, you know, going through this, but, yeah. but the will that you still had to overcome but I think this is, once again, something that's missed often in people's journeys to a point of success in their life is that we all, I mean, I don't know many people who don't ever at one point either feel they're not worthy, who don't feel that they can, think they should be second place, that think that they can go through there. What techniques do you do to help you get out of that? Yeah, yeah. Such a good question again, Carl. I I have actually been really big into the law of attraction lately. So I do every morning. I am 
five minutes, I will just envision whatever it is that I'm wanting in the future. And so for the hundred, I kept just thinking about getting to that finish line, getting the buckle that you get at for your trophy. And I just did that for the last month leading up into the hundred. And so I think it does help your brain kind of realize, you know, subconsciously help you get to that place, even if you don't necessarily feel worthy when you're like conscious about it. So I was trying to get, I was trying to fix the roots, the roots of it, I guess. And so that's been a big help, I think, is really, yeah, that law of attraction, just trying to manifest it. And it sounds woo woo, right? But like, I've heard enough people talk about it, high level people talk about it that I'm like, okay, I got to try this. And so and it's just like the repetitions in the weight room. The more that I do it, the more that I am kind of seeing results from it. And that's like in the last 10 miles of the of the race, I, I just kept thinking about, that was another thing, was I just kept thinking about getting to that finish line with that buckle. I was like, God, I've seen this in my head so many times. Like, this should work. Like, this should work out, you know? And I think if you don't do that, it does become a lot more realistic to fail. And I never did this when I was doing jujitsu and things like that. I never had that mentality. And so now that I've done all these things, especially a lot of the mountain summits this year that I've been pretty big mountains and the hundred and things like that, I've seen it work out in my life. And so I guess I'll continue to do it. I've seen results and yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think that's brilliant because what what you're, we're talking about is having a vision and, and, and seeing yourself, that is the, the beauty, you know, there's those who are the classic think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. Love it. You know, it, it's, it's these type of, of visions that when we can see ourselves, we could see our company, we can see our family, whatever it is in a future state, the likelihood of getting there is so much stronger. You know, it's literally that law of going to somewhere where you already envisioned you are. And, and, and some sometimes you when you were there, it's like, wow, I feel like I've already been here, mm-hmm. you know, and, and because in a way you have. Right. You've like you, you, you put yourself in that future and then it's just the challenge to get into the how. Right. How are you going to accomplish this parts along the way? That's the strategies, if you may. And you talked all about it from you didn't do the traditional running like crazy. You know, you, you ran mountains and you, you, know, you did all yeah, these yeah. different parts and then ran my climb mountains. But. I, I I appreciate you sharing that. That you know, one of the things I, I do in a regular is Zig Ziglar. I read this every day. I read this basically kind of a best practice of, of how we should live our life and kind of go through it. And it's just part of my morning ritual. And it's, you know, to have those because it is so natural to want to go back and go back into bed and, and to sleep a little bit more. And, and next thing you know, that power hour, that opportunity for you to make a great difference goes away. And we get caught into being normal again, right? You know, because you're not normal. You you you, you did hundred miler, dude. You know, there is. I mean, like one percent of people like do in the U.S. I think do marathons, but it's not a very high percentage that that get to a hundred. You said only a hundred, whatever it was people that actually finished the Cascade one hundred. So, Chad, how, what? I'm, I'm kind of curious for you. Okay, you, here you've done it, and I'll ask. And I know you're you're processing it. You know, so what what's what's next for you? I knew it. I knew it. Bouncing around a couple things. I had this fortuitous event happen on, I climbed Mount Hood a few in June, and I met this guy that actually held the world's burpee record at one point. This would be a great guy for your podcast, by the way. I should. Oh, please. Okay. We'll talk about that. What's his name? 
Cameron Dorn. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it after. Okay, awesome. Okay. Met him up at the top of Mount Hood. We climbed down together, and we've kind of been in contact ever since. We did some other climbs together. And he is, he actually just came back from the Karakoram in Pakistan. So he climbed the Golden Horn up there and he's a big triathlete, all that type of stuff. And so he wants to go back to Denali next year because he got stuffed trying to summit it. It's the largest mountain in North America, like 20,000 some feet or something. So that's on the list. He wants me to go with him. So if they do it, that's on the list. He's also talking about climbing in Peru, doing some big mountains there. But then also I was looking at the the Great Divide bicycle trail. So it goes from like Alberta, Canada to Adobe Walls, New Mexico. Basically a north to south traverse of the continent, of North America rather. Or not North America, but the United States. So I was looking at that. That's that's I'm kind of kicking that around. But man, it's been it's been tough. Yeah, it's like, what do I do now? <laughs> it, it really is. It really is because I'm thinking about possibly doing a 200 would be interesting. I don't know if I want to start the training up again. I think I want to take a year off of that, but that's in the future. But I probably won't be solid in my plans till at least in the in the winter or spring. This one, I've realized that like I always make these plans and then they they change so much throughout the fall and winter. <laughs> it's like so funny. Whatever I get inspired by, it really is 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 something that I that I've been seeing. But yeah, I want to like climb the Grand Teton. There's a lot of climbing. I think I'm really interested in that. And yeah, so probably some big mountains. I think is what I'm looking for, or some type of long endurance activity like the cycling thing would be would be interesting something outdoors though for sure right <laughs> yeah, yeah that that is that is amazing so after after going through this you know you, you i'm going to just give it to you measure success you completed this 100 miler how, how let's go down to the personal side of it because obviously there's, there's been a lot about your personal life as you go through this let's let's i want to go you know briefly for a few minutes talk about you you, you talked about in the in earlier days you you had some challenges right you kind of that's mm-hmm. part of the value you, you had some tr- challenges yeah. of who you are and and briefly talk about that and then how how did doing stuff get you out of that so yeah. first kind of talk about like if you don't mind talk about some of the dirty laundry of the like what 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 was the stuff going on that you know was difficult for you you know earlier in your in, in your life yeah, so I think so like depression anxiety has always kind of been the family thing that my one side of my family just would always they would you they would have it and it was kind of normalized to the point where yeah, you just like get these you just get these feel good pills and then you take them and then you're good. And I was on I was subscribed to that for a little while. And then I kind of realized that like, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I have to be doing something wrong. There has to be something wrong with my thinking or there's gotta be something wrong with the way I'm living my life. That's making me like feel like this. And so that's when I started getting on and it was a very subtle change, you know, I mean, it was, it was very slow, but it was like, I started cleaning up my diet, started learning how diet affects your, can affect like your brain, your gut biome. I started, you know, 
I got into jujitsu. So I was really starting to clean up my lifestyle. I stopped going out because I wanted to stop getting my ass kicked on the weekends, basically. And so it was all these like little mini steps. And so I weaned myself off of whatever pills I was taking for the depression and stuff. And I just, I realized that like, I needed to cope with this in a different way. And so the way I was, the way I was coping with it was with the pills or whatever, or drinking always. I was always doing that. I mean, I was from Wisconsin too. And that, that's kind of required, right? Yeah, it, was, it really is. <laughs> and so, but when I, when I took that out, I needed to replace it with something. And so I replaced it with these healthy activities that were like getting me in shape, giving me a goal, giving me a purpose, getting me uncomfortable. And when you just start subscribing to that way of life, it's really is, it's a lifestyle at that point you just realize how much better life can get. And then you start getting these people into your life because you start doing these similar activities that start raising you up as well. And so it's just, it's so, it's, I wish that I could. And so that's like one of the reasons why I kind of do some of the stuff is like to inspire other people. Like you can get out of like that despair. If you make a choice and you try to clean up your life, and you can get you can get on the other side of it and it's way better it's way better and i've from where i work like my nine to five i've realized that so i work with people on parole and probation and so i've realized when i was doing that that really it came down to really inadequate coping skills for whatever situation they were trying to deal with in life they just had really inadequate coping skills and so Again, when I realized that and I was seeing like a real life, like how that was playing out in like people's lives. And I was like, that kind of terrified me. I don't want to be in that position. So I needed to figure out a healthier way to cope with some of the things I was going through. And so now, yeah, it's, it works. It works. I think like one of the biggest things was cleaning up my diet. Honestly, I really do. And how much that's affect. I mean, I just, now you start, which was really funny because in an ultra, it's the total opposite. I got to say the life (laughs) about 50, there's a point where you stop eating solid foods. Basically you just can't digest. Yeah. Blood's not there. I was basically drinking Coca-Cola for the last 50 miles. I mean, it was, yeah, I was just, I, boom, boom. I mean, cause it's got the calories, sugar, carbs, you know, I would never do that in real life, but oh man, for the ultra, it was great. Mm. And so. But yeah, after cutting all all that stuff and just really doing a 180 with my lifestyle, I mean, a lot of people that I talk to now are just like, I don't even know you. I mean, like I was, yeah. So like I had all this pent up energy, but I was doing it, I was using it towards the wrong things, basically. So now I'm redirecting it into healthier things in my opinion. So how do you measure success in what you're doing today? I think by a lot of it is inspiring other people. I love when I get like messages and things like that. Like, oh my gosh, like I went and I did that because you inspired me to do this. I think that's awesome because I think it makes a ripple effect in the world. If you get enough people to get on that lifestyle and start feeling good about themselves, it's just more happy people. That's, that's great, right? For, for a good, good planet. And then also by constantly, just constantly reaching outside of my comfort zone. Like I have to, if I'm not doing that, and ask my girlfriend, I get extremely ornery when it's raining here, you know, and I can't do anything. I get extremely ornery. 
So really trying to strive to make sure I'm hitting my full potential. And there's, you probably have heard this speech where they talk about, you know, you're on, you die and you meet the person that you could have been. Mm. That scares me. That scare that terrifies the life out of me. And so I want to make sure that when I, whenever I, whenever I expire, I am as close to that person I could have been as I could be. So that's kind of how I want to live my life. Well, Chad, I look forward to working with you. As I mentioned, I, I want to be a part of that journey for you. I mean, you, you, you're totally inspiring to me. I, I love meeting incredible people that you've done with done. And I, and also what you're overcoming in, in, in a continual regular basis. And I love it how your real joy is being able to give it to others, you know, yeah. in, in hearing that response of thank you, you know, for, for people to give them that. So yeah. what is a book that you'd recommend for our audience, Chad? Yeah, we actually talked about it too right before, but Relentless is great. Relentless taught me by Tim Grover. Relentless taught me that I was not weird. For the longest time, Carl, I thought I was weird, dude. I had an ex-girlfriend before Haley that and her family, they everything that I did was like weird to them or strange because it wasn't like we're saying it, like, it just wasn't normal. It wasn't like, why do you want to run a hundred miles? Like why do you, I brought it up to my ex-girlfriend once. She's like, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. And so I thought things were wrong with me. I was like, what is wrong with me? And until I read that book and I found so many similarities in that book, that was written. That was a huge catalyst for me. And other than that, yeah. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I mean, I sent you a huge list. I have such did, a good yeah. no, list. Those are two books. great books. Chad. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at yeah. that. <laughs> so once again, you you are somebody who <clears throat> sponsorships, people care about what you're doing. Chad, give, give a moment to what are some of the ways that people can, we're going to, of course, post this on, when we do our posting on our social media, but what, what are some ways that people can connect with you and find out more about you? Yes. Yeah, so I'm really active on Instagram and TikTok, and I have a lot of long-form videos on YouTube, like of the John Muir Trail, Colorado Trail, a bunch of these bike tours that I've done in, in the mountains, and I also have a newsletter. I'll post it in my Instagram for this, but it's just a kind of a monthly newsletter that I do exclusive like hiking tips and things like that where it can be delivered to your email for free and stuff that I usually don't talk about on my socials, so... That would probably be the best one. Awesome. Well, Chad, hey, it has been an absolute pleasure pleasure to have you on the Measure Success podcast. And, and congratulations once again on an incredible feat of in completing the Cascades 100. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate you, Carl. You are the man. <laughs> and to everyone else who's listening, I hope you really enjoyed this podcast. I hope this has inspired you to try something new, try something different. There's better ways. There's better ways to make a greater difference. I think Chad is an awesome example of that. And to everyone also listening, wishing you the very best and measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.